The scripture today is James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. So let's put our ears on. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Let us hear it. If, if I were to ask you, friends, what is it that makes someone wise? I want you to think about what you might say. You ever had those man on the street people come up to you? Maybe you haven't. Hey, we're doing an interview. What is it that makes someone wise? Is it a person who's really smart or knows all kinds of history facts or the sibling sitting next to you that aced calculus and for your entire life you've been bitter toward them because they never went to class and got good grades and you always went to class and got C's and that's what wisdom is. Is it a person who has experienced all kinds of life challenges? You know, they've, they've been around the block a few times. Is a wise person someone who is suave or drinks dos equis? <laughs> Has a, a salted, well-groomed beard and knows how to play it cool in whatever social situation they find themselves. Maybe you think wisdom is a person who just always has good advice. You know, you, whenever you're around, they're like, hey, that, that's, real, that's a great idea. Well, I think most cultures, whether they realize it or not, including our own, have some sort of working definition of wisdom, even if it's not spoken. So in America, our American dream, to give an example, traffics in wisdom, I would argue, as self-improvement, especially in the economic realm. So a wise person is someone who has worked hard to make something of themselves. Maybe they've built a business or, or climbed the corporate ladder or, or gone from rags to riches. So we, we think of wisdom in our country as being smart with your money and knowing how to get ahead in life. Well, I'm grateful this is the very question that James sets out to answer in this passage. Look at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you. You know, he's not the only biblical author to ask and answer that question. You realize that? And, and I'm not just talking about, you know, the, the traditional wisdom books, for those of you who are into genre and such English things, you know, like 
Proverbs or Job or Ecclesiastes. I, I'm talking about every book of the Bible. Every book of the Bible answers in some way who is wise and understanding among you. But, but let me tell you what I really love about James' answer to that question, verse 13. Okay? And it's something I've said before that I love about this entire book. James is eminently practical. He's really practical. There's nothing theoretical or abstract about the test of true wisdom that he gives us in verses 13 to 18. And, and his answer to the question, I would argue, who is wise and understanding among you, is as gritty as they get. It, it's as connected to the, the messiness, the trenches of real life as the answers come. And I'd summarize his answer this way. Who, who is wise and understanding among you? What, what, what is wisdom? I think we're going to see as we work through this this morning that, that true wisdom is humility in action that leads to peace. That's the gritty answer. That's the in the trenches of real life answer. What is wisdom, you say? Who is wise and understanding among you? True wisdom is humility in action that produces or leads to peace. And, and I think the second half of verse 13 summarizes exactly what I just said in the point of this whole section. Who is wise and understanding among you? What's the answer? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. I think James is saying two really important things here. We're just going to Camp out on verse 13 for a while, because all of you are learning how to write paragraphs in school. What, what, what's the very first sentence you're supposed to have in your paragraph? Uh, what kind of sentence? Topic sentence, right? Summarizes the whole. Well, James is doing that here. So what's he saying here? Two things about wisdom. First, wisdom is known by her actions. It's not hidden or esoteric. It's not something that flies under the radar, is difficult to spot. You know, it's like, well, am I wise? Are you wise? Hmm, I don't, I don't know. I, I wonder. Let's keep thinking about it. No, okay? By definition, wisdom is active and visible. It, it shows itself in a particular sort of behavior. It, it has, if you would, a distinctively behavioral calling card. Wisdom from God's perspective, isn't about what you know, friends. It's about how you live. It's really important. It's about the visible character of your conduct. It's visible. It has to do with your conduct, not just what you know in here. Here's the second thing James is saying there. Verse 13. Wisdom isn't any old sort of visible activity, right? It's a very specific sort of behavior. What, what kind of behavior, what kind of conduct, what kind of work showing themselves on the outside and the way you live are we talking about? What's the kind of attitudes and actions that flow from a heart of humility? Look again at verse 13. We should just memorize this verse and then I could stop preaching. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, I don't think we use that word meekness very often. 
You know, say somebody's meek. I, I think when we do, it often conjures up these images of someone who's really quiet or reserved or, or an introvert. They're non-confrontational. They're just happy to let other people do their thing, and I'm just going to mind my own business, and let's just try to not rock the boat. You know, sometimes it even has undertones of, well, they're kind of weak, or, or maybe they're a pushover. Well, that is not at all how James or the entire rest of the Bible uses the word meek, okay? When you read meekness, think this, a spiritually strong and life-governing attitude of humility. That's what meekness is. It's how a guy named Moses in the book of Exodus led a migration of several million people. Numbers 12, 3 says, Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. You're not a weakling or a pushover and lead a migration of several million grumbling people. And yet the Lord says he was meek. He was humble. But more importantly, it's how Jesus, the eternal son of God, describes himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle or meek. Same Greek word. And lowly in heart. Sometimes it's translated gentle, sometimes humble, sometimes meek. meek. They're all good translations of the same word that in the first century referred to this. A quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of yourself importance. So why is that the essence of true wisdom? Well, friend, it's because true wisdom, please hear this, is built on the foundational conviction that the Lord is God and I am not. The Lord is God and you're not. The Lord is God, and that person in your life whose approval you crave is not. He's the creator, and I'm not. He's supreme in majesty. I'm not. He's the king of glory. I'm not. He's worthy of all worship and praise. I'm not. He's perfect in holiness and blinding in splendor and awesome in purity, and I am not. And that essential distinction, friend, between the creator and the creature. Okay, not, not just recognized, oh, there, look at that, but joyfully and gladly embraced is where true wisdom begins. It's the starting line of wisdom. If, if you skip that, if you miss that, your pursuit of wisdom is a hopeless cause. Why? Why is your search for wisdom shot from the get-go if you miss the distinction, the humbling difference between the creator and the creature? It's because that difference is the nature of reality. It is the world you live in, whether you want it to be such or not. The, the difference between who God is and who we are demands humility. And that's why Proverbs 1.7 says what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The entire Christian worldview is built on the fundamental distinction between the creator and the creature. 
And that means humility isn't some kind of Christian mind game, okay? Let's just be honest here, where, where we think, you know, well, I know I'm a pretty awesome person, but I'm not going to say so in polite company because I am humble. No, okay? Humility is the moral requirement of our existence. You realize that? Because of the difference between the creator and the creature, okay? No other attitude besides humility passes muster in the eyes of the righteous judge to whom we will all give account. Isaiah 66 verse 1, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? (laughs) And what's the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. The creator, So all these things came to be, declares the Lord, but this is the one to whom I will look. Given I'm the creator, you're the creature, I'll look to this one. He who is what? Humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. As Hebrews 4.13 says, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. But here's the critical connection, okay? Listen, where humility toward God is present, that's what I've been talking about. Humility toward our fellow man will be present. Always. Okay, why? Because when you're in awe of God's glory and not your own, that's when and only when you will stop trying to impress other people with a sense of your self-importance. Your your supreme concern when you are in awe of the glory and greatness of God and the difference between the creator and the creature, your supreme concern in, in all your various relationships will become not impressing people with a sense of, hello, I've arrived, I'm here, look at how great I am. But your supreme concern will be helping them see and respond to the glorious character of God. When humility changes the way you relate to God, it will change the way you relate to other people. So you can think of it this way, okay? Humility, verse 13 here, isn't one of many expressions of wisdom. It is the biblical measure of wisdom. It's the heart attitude out of which wisdom exclusively and necessarily proceeds. And so verse 13 teaches us wisdom is visible, right? It's tested by our actions. And wisdom is humble. It it begins with a right attitude of heart toward God, which is why I said the whole passage was about what? True wisdom is humility in action. But you know, that that kind of God-centered wisdom, let's just be honest, that that is not what the world or the flesh or Satan himself, commend to us as wise. It's not. We can all nod our heads. Yeah, true wisdom, humility, and action. But that is not at all what your heart is naturally saying or your world is saying or the devil himself is saying. It's the exact opposite, in fact, of what we're naturally inclined to pursue. And so even if we know in our minds what biblical wisdom really is, that doesn't mean we know how to spot it in our life, somebody else's life, or even how to live it out in the trenches of real life. 
And that's where, back to delightfully practical James, the verses that follow verse 13 are so helpful. Because once he establishes this definition of wisdom, humility, and action, verse 13, he immediately goes on to contrast two things. Two things, okay? True wisdom, false wisdom. Godly wisdom, that's the true one, get your directions right. And worldly wisdom, he contrasts those things to help us recognize that while both are demonstrated in our actions, the relational fruit of them could not be more distinct. So let's follow James as he contrasts worldly wisdom, false wisdom, with godly wisdom, true wisdom. Okay, that's the the two points of this message. First, worldly wisdom produces division. Looking at verses 14 to 16 here. Worldly wisdom produces division. In these two verses, James identifies a couple things. The nature and the source and the fruit of worldly wisdom. What's its nature? What's its source? And what's its fruit? What's it consist of? Where does it come from? And what's it create? So, so at our heart level, let's follow him here as he does this, the level of our desires, our will, what does worldly wisdom consist of? What is its nature? Look at verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and be false to the truth. What's James saying? He's saying you can't answer the question in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you with it? Oh, oh, I am, (laughs) right? If two attitudes are present in your heart, what are those? Bitter jealousy, selfish ambition. What is bitter jealousy? Well, I think it's the sinful craving for what someone else has and you don't have (laughs) that causes you to feel bitterness towards someone. So bitter jealousy traffics in personal comparison, in other words. It assesses what I think I deserve to what I think, relative to me, you deserve. And it concludes, I am just as, if not more deserving of, fill in the blank, than you are. But because you got the promotion, and you got the praise, and you got mom and dad's approval, or you got the lifestyle, or the Christmas present, or the boyfriend, or the spiritual gifts, or the position in the church, or the vacation I wanted, I don't think I like you very much right now. It's bitter jealousy. What is selfish ambition? Well, I think it's a driving hunger and thirst for achievement for the sake of my reputation, my satisfaction, my glory, my identity, or my esteem. And the work that you're engaged in could be entirely good, right? Raising your kids, starting a business, serving in the church. But the reason you're doing it, uh (laughs) uh-oh, has more to do with securing the status you want or the position you think you deserve than it does with loving God or loving other people. So you might not be against those things. I mean, hey, no hard feelings toward loving God, loving people. But, but when push comes to shove, you're not laboring for God's glory or to make much of Jesus. It's for you. You alone. 
So whenever we, you discern a, a spirit of bitter jealousy or selfish ambition in your heart, both of which are consumed with what I think I deserve, what I think I've earned, you're living according to the wisdom of this world, which says your life is what? All about you. All about you. So you'd better do whatever it takes to get other people to respect you accordingly. What does James tell us about all that? Well, he says that whenever you discern a spirit of bitter jealousy or selfish ambition, if, if you're in those circumstances still considering yourself wise, well, you are being deceived. You're being false to the truth. Why? Because in both those cases, bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, the hallmark of true wisdom is strikingly absent. <laughs> What's the hallmark of true biblical wisdom? Remember? Humility. Humility. Bitter jealousy isn't humble. It says, I'm great and I'm not getting what I deserve, so I'm going to have an attitude until I get it. Selfish ambition isn't humble. It says, I'm great and my mission in life is to prove that to myself and others so that you would finally bow down and worship me and admit how great I really am. And both of those, biblically, are expressions not of humility, but pride. And, and so James, is, he's thrown a flag on the field. He's saying, I, I'm going to challenge that because worldly wisdom is a self-exalting, self-promoting kind of wisdom. It, it doesn't come down, look at verse 15, from above. It doesn't find its source in God because it isn't rooted in the humility that God's self-revelation of himself demands. It's an earthly sort of wisdom, an unspiritual sort of wisdom. It's, it isn't the work of the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the kingdom of darkness. But bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, those are expressions of the very pride that Satan exercised and lured Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, to join him in exercising when he said, why would you bother worshiping God when you could become like God? Worldly wisdom of that arrogant nature with that evil source invariably, here's the fruit connection, produces a certain kind of fruit in our relationships with one another. Look at verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder or conflict or chaos or confusion or angst and every vile practice. Okay, translation, worldly wisdom doesn't make your relationships work. It breaks them. It doesn't strengthen them. It destroys them. It, it creates conflict, division, all manner of life-destroying behaviors. Why is that, friend? Why is that? Well, it's because worldly wisdom acts as if other people or things are God, that's bitter jealousy, or pretends, I am God, that's selfish ambition. And, and the Bible tells us both of those are a complete and total lie. That's not true. So no wonder it results in disorder, right? We're living in denial of reality. We're, we're opposing the very moral fabric of the universe when we pretend other people and things are God. I must have that bitter jealousy. 
I am God, selfish ambition. We're, we're opposing the moral fabric of the universe because there is only one God. And it's not you, and it's not them, it's the Lord. And he rightly refuses to bless our relationships when the animating principle driving them is spiritual idolatry. So think of it this way, okay? As long as God isn't seated on the throne of your heart, your personal relationships will never work. They'll never work. They'll remain a mess. We'll we'll never live in the full good of reconciliation with man until we've been reconciled to God. we, We need the Holy Spirit to intervene in our hearts and help us first relate to God rightly if we're going to have any hope of relating to each other rightly. And and I think, you know, that that most of us would want to say something like this. Okay, Matthew, you know, if you're going to make me answer this, I I think I'm somewhat wise. (laughs) I think I'm pretty wise. You know, I mean, I'm getting on base. B minus. but I'm certainly not a fool, Pastor. I know some. Would you like me to tell you about that? (laughs) Well, friend, here's what you do. If you want to know if you're walking in godly wisdom or worldly wisdom, it's a very simple test. Look at the fruit of your relationships. In the relationships that you're in, what kind of fruit is your participation If most of your relationships with other people are a mess, are characterized by disorder, or rarely at peace, you can safely assume they're the problem. (laughs) No! (laughs) Just checking if you're listening, right? No! You can assume you're walking in worldly wisdom. That's what James is saying here. He's warning us. Just look at the fruit of your relationships. Okay? If you see chaos... That means the folly of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition are in play in some way. Now, that doesn't mean your life is hopeless, okay? Why not? Because the Lord is eager to help us repent, right? He he delights to give grace and forgiveness and power to change to, to all who ask him, Lord, deliver us from evil. We were singing about that today over and over again. You notice that? Deliver us from evil, Lord. Oh, another verse. Did we just sing that? Yeah, we did. (laughs) Because we need that over and over again. He's eager to do it. But we have to acknowledge the root of the issue, friend. That's what James is getting after. We have to acknowledge the root of the issue here. The reason we get trapped in worldly wisdom and all the chaos it produces and the division it creates is because of a lack of humility in our hearts toward God. Worldly wisdom lacks humility. That's why it creates division. Okay, but let's briefly look at the alternative, godly wisdom. What's godly wisdom produce? Verses 17 and 18, it produces peace. Godly wisdom produces peace. Did did you notice that James says not once but twice, verse 15, again in verse 17, that true wisdom is from above. Did you catch that? That's that's really important, okay? James is reminding us that wisdom isn't in the eye of the beholder. 
It's not subjectively determined by the, by the shifting and contradictory judgments of men. It's objectively defined and revealed by God himself to us. It doesn't originate within you. It originates outside of you. It's not something you create for yourself. Wisdom is something you receive from God. It is from above. You don't find it by peering deeper within. You find it by looking longer at him. And both the character and the fruit of godly wisdom, looking at verse 17 here, couldn't be more different than the relational fallout of verse 16. So, so let's just camp out for a minute or two here on verse 17. Look at these attributes of godly wisdom because they're all expressions of humility. Every one of them. Okay, of a heart that recognizes the Lord is God, I am not, you're not, and relates to other people accordingly. They all flow from humility. So let's look at these. Verse 17, godly wisdom first is pure. It's pure. It's, it's not corrupted by sinful desire. It's holy. It's like God himself. Okay, reflecting his, his own thoughts, his own feelings, his own actions. It's also peaceable. Godly wisdom isn't quick to anger. It's patient and forbearing. It doesn't insist you have to admit I'm right. It doesn't create a conflict out of every little point of disagreement. It's also what? Gentle. You know, there, there's a distinctive approachability, friend, to godly wisdom. It, it gives thought to not just what should be said, but how to say it in a way that makes it as easy as possible for that person to hear without compromising the truth in the least. It's, it's gentle in that it's wisdom is true wisdom. It's sensitive to the potential for conflict, and it looks for ways to avoid conflict. Not, not to avoid hard issues, but to not create unnecessary disunity. It's also, what he just keeps going here. It's so helpful. Godly wisdom is open to reason. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's teachable, right? They're just an entreatable or a compliant, willing to yield character to it. It's not stubborn or defensive. You know, a wise person, they're easy to engage. They're willing to change their mind. They're not a pushover, but they know that some issues are more important than others. And they don't treat every issue as if it's a hill you have to die on. That doesn't mean they're soft or lack conviction. But a wise person isn't harsh or militant. Even when the dictates of conscience or scripture mandate, you have to stick to your guns. I, th I think my favorite description of all comes next. Keep your eyes on verse 17. Godly wisdom is full of mercy. Of mercy. Why? Because that's who God Himself is, friend. He's what? Exodus 34. Merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. When you're around a wise person, you'll never feel like you're walking on eggshells. That they're not a bomb waiting to go off at the slightest provocation. And even when they are sinned against, even when a wise person's constitutional rights are violated, they don't blow a gasket. 
Wisdom remains exceedingly compassionate and merciful. It takes sin very seriously, but it's also incredibly quick to forgive. I want to be like that. And finally, godly wisdom is, what's James say? Impartial and sincere. It doesn't play favorites. Traffic and prejudice. It, it treats other people no matter who they are, what they've done, with dignity and honor and justice worthy of that person being an image bearer of God. So wisdom doesn't cling to, to a superior or a self-righteous attitude. Check out that fool. No! Even if it recognizes the presence and consequences of folly, it doesn't do God's job for him and sit in judgment over that person. It refuses hypocrisy and embraces integrity. And it practices what it preaches. I want you to look at verse 18 now, because notice here all those actions, all that godly behavior sourced in humility, characteristic of true wisdom, it produces something. What's that? Verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Worldly wisdom produces what? Division. Chaos. Godly wisdom produces peace. Think of it as like wisdom's signature or its trademark. It's, it's the best test of whether you're walking in wisdom or not. Here's the test. Are your actions, so far as it depends upon you, producing peace in your relationships? That's the test. And you know, there are times that that I'll hear someone say, okay, Matthew, I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't care what effect my actions are having on other people. I know I'm doing the right thing, and they need to get with the program. Well, friend, when you hear that voice, whenever you have that thought, or tempted to, to dig in, or charge ahead, or hit send, that'll teach them. <laughs> well, remember Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers. The path of blessing is the path of making peace. It's not like, oh, peacemakers get an extra hot dog at the game. No, the path of blessing, the only path of spiritual blessing and salvation that leads to God is the path of peace. That doesn't mean that unity is our functional God, okay? There are times that doing what is right in a relationship will inevitably cause enmity to rise, not dissipate, but that's not James' issue here. His concern and my concern as your pastor is this, that we remember godly wisdom is always rooted in something, humility, and it's always producing something, peace. And so if your actions are not rooted in humility and they are not producing peace, you should be very skeptical. Who's wise and understanding among you? I am! How about you put that hand down? Because true wisdom is humility and action that leads to peace. So be honest, friend. Ask yourself, what is the effect of my actions having in my relationships? Producing division? Or so far as it depends upon you, leading to peace. I want to remind you as we prepare to close by singing that the good news of the gospel and the only reason a sermon like this need not be an exercise in condemnation is that Jesus is 
all the attributes of wisdom in verse 17. Remember that. He's pure. He's peaceable. He's open to reason. He's full of mercy and good fruit. He came to bring peace between you and God through his life and death and resurrection and peace between you and your fellow man through his life and death and resurrection. And so walking in biblical wisdom isn't about trying to change your behavior on your own. Remember that. It's about repeatedly running to our wise Savior and King and crying out to Him for mercy, knowing He's eager to forgive, He's eager to lead, and He's eager to empower you to walk in the kind of wisdom that springs from humility and produces peace. You can't make yourself wise, friend. But Jesus can. And Jesus will, if you're willing to humble yourself and ask him. Let's do that right now. Lord, you have said that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And Lord, you've told us, because that's who you are, Jesus, to come to you with confidence, knowing that you were eager to pour out mercy and grace in our time of need. And Lord, as your people, we say to you right now, this is a really convicting passage. None of us escapes indictment in this passage, conviction in this passage. And so, Jesus, we come to you right now because you told us to, and we cry out to you, our merciful high priest, who sympathizes with our weaknesses, asking that you would give us the gift of repentance, that you would make us a humble people. Give us humble hearts, Lord, that in all our relationships, think and feel and speak in a way that produces peace. Lord, that's our prayer right now. That's our prayer for every day this week. That's our prayer as we prepare to sing this song. Help us, we ask, Lord, in your name.